Welcome to the Crypto Podcast. You can find all our episodes on the CryptoPodcast.org. We're also on YouTube, and you'll find the links in the podcast description. I'm also a podcasting coach because I've got five podcasts. You'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Today, my guests, co-founders of Vesto. So it's a multi-token protocol for decentralized services. So please welcome Christopher McGregor and Wolfgang Decker. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. No problem at all. So I suppose, obviously, we're going to delve into the company, but you might kind of give me your crypto journey first each and then how you connected with each other. Sure. Well, okay. Should I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm a full, I'm from, well, originally San Francisco, <clears throat> full stack engineer. I've been hands on as long as you can imagine building stuff. And a uh, serial entrepreneur did pay and go in my early 20s, very successful, did one that wasn't so successful. And then I got into, I had to get into crypto. So 2018, January, I decided to join a startup company that didn't make it, but I really just wanted to get, you know, knee deep into crypto, which I did. And I would, outside of that, in 2019, I said, this is going to change the world. I was hooked. I was, it was like Kool-Aid. I said, I, I'm not going to do anything but crypto. Spent 2019 looking at, you know, looking at the stable coins like USDC coming out. I think that was later that, you know, summer when Compound was just getting started, the DeFi. And we reached out to my brother and reached out to Wolfgang. When was that? The summer of 2019, I think it was? Early 2019, yeah. I think May. Yeah. No, or even earlier. And then we decided to all get together and we started Vesto in, I think, September of 2019. And we've been building ever since. And we just launched a couple months ago. Excellent. Yeah, so Wolfgang, you might let me know your journey. Yeah, my journey to crypto was maybe a bit different. I spent some time in the industry working for a leading payment technology provider company, yeah, 170-year-old, based in Munich, Germany, called Giesecke Endeavoriant. And I did all kinds of payment authentication projects in my role. And uh, in this context, as uh, which is crypto in a sense of security or cryptography, I traveled to the US and I met Chris and his brother, Travis, who's also a co-founder. Spoke about a few business ideas, nothing really that materialized. I left GND, Gizek and Devriand. I joined Accenture. Then in early 2019, decided that I want to retire as a partner from Accenture and do something totally different. And that was coincidentally the moment that uh, Travis phoned me and said, hey, buddy, what are you doing? We have some weird ideas and you know the payment industry and we want to do something in crypto. Are you interested? And of course I was interested. So here I am. Excellent. And how does it, because like I'm a serial entrepreneur and I've had, you know, businesses in a few different countries. How does uh, it work that you're based in different locations, different time zones? I mean, why should it not work? I mean, no, it's probably an advantage because you're kind of covering different time zones as well. You know, yeah, I think moving forward, it will be more of an advantage. Uh, once you have global coverage, global service and support organizations, where you need to be present uh, as a leadership team more around the globe. In the beginning, I think it, it demanded more flexibility. But on the other hand, if there is no will to cooperate and to take care of each other, then 
it we would shake out earlier and so we had a a, a, an acid test in the very beginning, whether we function and cooperate well as founders, and we do. So it was maybe beneficial for us to, to how you call that in English, to clue together as a team, to gel together. And uh, yes, I think we are a great team. It, we never had any issue with Chris getting up early or me working late. That normally works always. And what about uh, Chris, Christopher working with your brother? I mean, I'm, I, I don't think I could work with my brother. We've totally different, but obviously it's, uh, it's working for you. Yeah, no, Trav and I, and I actually have an older brother, Greg. We've worked on and off with each other. I mean, right back when we did our first startup in my early 20s. So, and we've all kind of done our own things. But um, yeah, this is the one with Travis. We work well together. Excellent. So you might as well let me know what's the company about Wolfgang, you want to take this? Or you want to take a shot, and then I'll jump in. Yeah, let me uh, let me start, and you you add in, fill in the blanks, and correct me where maybe uh, too. <laughs> so we started off with the idea of doing something in crypto, and we didn't really have a very concrete vision or ambition. But we quickly said we we believe crypto is the future world of finance or the future world of banking. And then we thought, well, if we do the future world or if we contribute to defining the future world of banking and finance, where do we want to attack? At the short tail or rather at the long tail? So crypto for the masses or crypto for the high net worth uh, accredited investor that just wants another vehicle to uh, invest and to, to participate in global financial markets. And we thought, well, in, in a gold rush, the ones that are always successful is the pick and shovel business, which is rather which is rather the long tail. So we wanted to build a platform that is accessible to everybody, inclusive, uh, low cost, fast transactions, equitable, no barriers whatsoever, but having an accessible long tail long tail ready platform that would be economically viable for long tail use cases. So micropayment, two buck fifty for a parking meter should be as possible as a 10,000 or even higher amount deposit and earning DeFi interest. So that was the vision and ambition. And then we said, if you're in a pick and shovel business, we should make this as easy and accessible to the maker and creator community as possible. So we Chris led the, the engineering team and, and we built an architecture that is a comprehensive multi-token protocol as you could read it on our website. But at the end of the day, we deploy to our customer base an AWS container, so to say, that includes all the APIs, all the, the, the assets that you need to get started and everything else is fully integrated, starting with the fiat on and off ramp, with KYC capabilities, with uh, DeFi protocol integration, with whatever capability you need from a maker and creator perspective, you focus on the use cases for value to your community. And we make sure that we have an integration with, with Circle, for instance, to integrate with USDC, or we have an integration with Yearn or Element Finance for the DeFi protocols or with Finclusive for the fiat on and off ramp or with OnFeed or for KYC and whatever have you. So you get an API, you get a platform deployed literally within a couple of minutes and then you start building 
your use case and you are not bothered with integrating into Polygon or integrating into any of these capabilities. It's there for you. You do not need to code anything in a, in a sampler, so to say. If you want to run in crypto, you get a low-code platform that is turnkey prepared by us and maintained by us. Was that maybe too wordy? No, it's okay. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> so I I know that just from going through the the platform, the the website, like it's Ethereum and Polygon are the ones that you're. And Correct. is it would it be the Polygon was because of gas fees? Then is it kind of yep. working that way? Absolutely. We we started out obviously on what a lot of people do on Ethereum, great blockchain, and the I think this was May of last year actually we realized that it wasn't going to work. But made most of the DeFi assets are sitting on Ethereum. So we said to ourselves, how do we how do we put assets into DeFi and at the same time create some type of scalability platform? And that's Polygon. So we have the two chains work together to give you know, high yields and scalability for payments, transfers, and other utility. So like, I think there's a lot of going on in the last kind of month in this space. One would have been the stablecoin Lunar. I mean, yeah. so what's your thoughts on that? Well, we, we partnered with Circle, <laughs> USDC. And I think it's back one-to-one. And we're like what, what Wolfgang said, we're the long tail. So we've been very conservative with our use cases. Yeah, I think it's it's unfortunate, right? I think it shattered, it basically shattered or rippled through the entire market what happened with Terra, Luna. And yeah. yeah, Wolfgang, have you something as well? To... I think the, I don't want to say it was a bad choice to have an algorithmic stablecoin, but the man-made algorithm can be broken, right? What man makes, man breaks. We decided maybe not so much because we had clear, clear insights into algorithmic stablecoins, but we decided from a risk management perspective, from a safety perspective, that we want to have a fully collateralized stablecoin and Circles USDC is fully collateralized by US short-term treasury bills. The same thing as the US dollar, unless the US dollar has in addition, I think some gold reserves so uh, that is maybe the most stable stable coin that we could find. And it, it was the right, right choice. We didn't know this upfront. And I'm pretty sure that uh, yeah, there are some learnings to be taken for the industry moving forwards. But we had some the luck on our side when we picked uh, USDC as our first core product or core component for the, for the platform. And with the, the Fed increasing the interest rates just recently and as well as i mean the uk and the ecb the, the whole lot of the they're all gone up and it looks like they're all going to go up a bit more i think that's probably an advantage to like to you know people looking at alternatives yeah i think if you if you consider long tail use cases of course it's always great if you park fiat in your bank account and i'm based in germany as we spoke in the beginning if you reach a certain threshold of deposit you pay negative interest or you pay interest for your own deposit so meaning the bank makes sure that my savings melt away until i'm below a certain threshold which i believe is unfair it's insulting it's embarrassing it shouldn't happen however if you if you consider long tail use cases let's say a remittance use case from the us 
to to South or Latin America, deposit and and earning interest on your deposit is obviously an upside, but the large majority of the user base is excluded from access to financial services at all. They live in a cash world or look into certain geographies in Africa. Mobile money solutions, the rise of M-Pesa in, in the early 2010s was simply because these people didn't have any other mean of non-cash payment. And uh, so I think the DeFi is great in particular for merchants, but I think for the classic long tail use case, it's, it's not just another investment vehicle. It's, it's basically enabling access to the financial, financial ecosystem in general. Okay. I see uh, Three Arrows, a crypto hedge fund, they may face insolvency. It might have happened since, but when I was looking at that last week, just, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on in the crypto world. I, I assume you've heard about that, have you? Yeah, I was actually reading the Bankless article this morning, drinking my coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's another uh, event that's caused ripple throughout. I mean, there's a lot of people saying that they weren't involved with 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 Arrow. So it's it's interesting to see where it's going to turn out. Yeah, and like because there's a few things that I'm seeing in the crypto world, and you know, because I, I suppose you have to be watching everything because it can have a ripple in in itself. Uh, Coinbase, 11,000 people that they're let off, which you would assume, you know, that there is more people getting involved in the crypto world, that it would be the opposite. But, you know, it's... uh, it's, Well, I think the positive thing too is uh, DeFi. I was reading, you know, looking at uh, some of the protocols that are truly decentralized and on the blockchain. Yes, interest rates, you know, the yield is down, but they haven't collapsed. And I think that the Web3, and I would actually say decentralized versus centralized finance, I think has, I think we need to take a look at it very closely. I think that this is an improvement on traditional finance. And some of these big guys are already out there and they obviously they're losing liquidity. The interest rates are down, but they haven't collapsed, right? So some of the some of the leading DeFi protocols. And it is uh, Celsius. They put their, uh, you know, their accounts on hold. Like, I suppose yeah. going on that and then into the, our own system, kind of how, you know, between regulation and protection for people. Because, I mean, what I like about yourselves is that you're fully transparent. You can see you're on the team. Whereas a lot of the times, there's people that you don't really know who they are, and people are investing in. And I, for me, I always find that if you know who somebody is and you know where they are, there are less. To try to pull the you know pull the rug basically. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's good. Well, I was going to say that was one of our founding philosophies from, from the kid was fully on the chain. And Celsius, I think Celsius was leveraging the investments of the consumer base, and they could do so because they are in CFI, not in DeFi. With Vesto, this could not happen because we are a non-custodial wallet, and if the user doesn't grant us access to the assets, which from a technical perspective, we can't and we don't want to have it. We cannot leverage the investments of our consumers. And this was a great concept for Celsius as long we are in a bull market. Or if you're no longer in a bull market, as long the community does not decide to pull out the assets. But the moment the community decides to pull out the assets, they will not have likely not have sufficient liquidity. And then they will enter into a spiral that they will hardly be able to stop or that somebody would hardly be able to stop. 
And I'm, I'm not too much in the detail. I heard the other day an interesting crypto podcast out of Europe called Blue Alpine. And that guy went into the details and explained that they have an underlying Bitcoin collateral. And, and I'm repeating from memory what he explained. And the, the moment the Bitcoin would be falling below, I think, around about 17,000 US, then the liquidation event will get triggered. That would be disastrous for the entire industry, obviously. But yeah, couldn't happen with true DeFi solutions, with non-custodial solutions. And which uh, kind of use cases then? Because you're saying you, you've the NFTs, obviously, and a remittance. You might talk a bit on that. We, well, that's what's great about what we built. They, we, we started out, believe it or not, thinking that we we're going to license this to banks. That was the original concept. And what's transpired is remittance is a huge one for us because of the cost for the transfer on Polygon worldwide, where we are looking strongly into mobile money. And we just launched, well, we're working out the, the kinks right now with Eros here in the United States for payments a end-to-end merchant, you know, local merchant payment. So we, and we see the market, you know, we're not tied to the speculation of Bitcoin, Ethereum. We're more of a utility and going after all these different payment applications. What, what did I miss, Wolfgang? I think there's, there's a couple more in there as well. From a payment perspective, the, the ideas are endless. Wherever you need cost-efficient payment capabilities, then Vesta would be a platform, an open protocol. You can do with it whatever you want. Utility payments, smart metering, e-vehicle charging, whatever you come up with. Um, and I think on the NFT side, one key component of our architecture is the bridge from the Ethereum to the Polygon side. And we normally use it from the Polygon, we started using it from the Polygon side, uh, sorry, from Ethereum side to Polygon. So we have our utility token, we call it the VUSTC, the corresponding token that is shipped in uh, over the Polygon bridge into the user's wallet and then transacting from a Polygon wallet to a Polygon wallet. The underlying asset remains in Ethereum, but the bridge is uh, in-house built, it's custom. So we could also start, a token could start having a life on the Polygon side and ship over to Ethereum. Why is that relevant? Well, just assume you would be minting NFTs in a supply chain context and all the paperwork, the certificates of origin, the, the test results from a laboratory or whatever have you would start a life in, in Polygon, very cheap, cost efficient, efficiently minted. And they would likely forever stay on the Polygon side. There's no reason to have a, a certificate of origin in a supply chain context ever on Ethereum. But think about an art drop where the initial minting, you've, you drop free art, but the minting would be 50, 60, 90 or 100 bucks or whatever on the Ethereum side. So we start minting on Polygon once the asset has appreciated in value and it's maybe justifiable to pay a certain amount of gas fees and royalties, um, then the owner of that NFT would have a choice to consolidate, for instance, into an Ethereum wallet or to transact over to the Ethereum site. That's maybe also a big use case that we are that we have announced and will be launching soon. 
um, with the say digital art with with the NFTs that because like OpenSea seems to be the the main player in that and there's other ones and they all have different kind of fees and everything are you able to kind of incorporate into that then or is it something totally separate oh no we're we're everything we do is going to be you know we're erc721 on polygon and the idea is that artists if you take so wolfgang was talking about supply chain but if you take about artists one of the advantages is that they can basically mint for free with us and it's completely compatible with open and someone gave me an example. I think it was Dave in Malaysia. He's one of our advisors. He say that as soon as you have a piece of art that you want to sell, you ship it to Christie's or some big, you know, auction house. You pay the fees for them to do it. They sell it, and everybody makes a lot of money. And so it's the same concept that we have with Polygon and Ethereum. Ethereum being the place to sell it eventually. And like doing it that way, because just because I was bidding on a few different things recently, and, and I saw. <laughs> It does like lots of bots and everything, but one of the things, and it was through a book that I, I, I had read, and then I checked it about like the royalties of, say, something that's set up on uh, OpenSea, and then the person takes it off and puts it onto some other platform that they, yeah. they can't, they cut out the royalties. But if it's going through your system, you would kind of override that, I assume, would you? That it's so built we... into the contractor? There's a new, yeah, so we are, we have implemented, we haven't launched our NFT. We're just going to be betaing it at the end of this month. What is it? ERC2891, I think is the, is that, is it that? EIP2981, 2981. I wrote the code. He, he, he maps out what we do. So it, it's, it's a, it's basically you, you set the royalty that OpenSea now, I think, believe, we got to double check this, supports. So if it does go from auction to auction house, the artist does now will get those royalties no matter what happens. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that is a, a problem in a community that you auction something or you display something and then I make a wallet to wallet transaction and I, I, I evade or bypass the well-deserved royalty for the original creator. Um, that's technically, I think it will be always somehow possible, possible but uh, we try to minimize the risk of uh, royalty evasion as much as possible. And 2981 is the, the, I think it's not yet final in standard, but it's uh, a good definition what a contract should support in, in, in order to avoid royalty evasion. Like what I saw when I was going through that process is there was like, it looked like new accounts being created. Uh, it was on 22 pieces of art that were gone. Oh, there was more the utility. I was interested in the art, but I could see, and I recorded all that there was bots that bidded. Like I could see on one, I just had it open next day. I saw bid, 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 bid. It was in, impossible for a human to do that. And it, it's so disappointing that a company that probably is the biggest at the moment that allows that when, you know, they could easily nip that in the bud. That is another dirty trick. So you you bid on a on a piece of art in the beginning very, very high. So let's assume the, the real value in the market would be 100 and you bid 500. And you come in second with your bid with 90. And as it's already a 500 bid, nobody decides to go after it. And then the first bid pulls out and uh, the next lower would, would have it. So you cannot avoid all these tricks completely. At the end of the day, it's a no protocol, but you can make it at least more complicated, more difficult for the cheaters. 
And like just on the platform, because it's just something that I'm discussing with all the different people on the show. And I mean, obviously you're building, you know, your community and everything, but I'm finding say, obviously Twitter is a big one. That's, you know, people seem to be jumping in and discard, but I'm finding, especially discard that it's just full of spammers as well. And, you know, you're trying to kind of connect with people because there's genuine people, you know, someone could connect with you and it would be very interesting to them, but there's someone else in the group and they just keep spamming them. And it's really hurting. I think the industry. Yes. (laughs) What can I say? It's, it's, yeah, yes. I mean, we are, we are transparent. The founders are known. Our LinkedIn profiles are known. We have good exchanges with certain people over LinkedIn. The disadvantage is everybody that wants to reach us via these well-moderated platforms need to be in the clear, need to be out. And if uh, we communicate with somebody via Twitter or via a Discord or any other platform, we are also transparent who we are, but we cannot control that a spammer kind of, yeah, that's, a pain in the industry i have no solution for this chris you have we have a solution for this well there's a lot of talk sorry my my sound went off for a second um i don't know there's a lot of talk about the whole putting social media and putting some of this uh decentralized and i haven't really got my head around how that's going to solve issues Uh, i haven't really thought about it but it is a huge talk right now with a talk of Ethereum 2.0, which I think has been talked about for years and years. Is that something that you're kind of, do you know much more about it or is everybody in the dark as to what's going to happen with that? I, well, we've been waiting for it. <laughs> it's uh, We're excited about it. I mean, new consensus algorithm, we'll see if the prices come down, but it definitely will be quicker and more energy, you know, it'd be less energy to, to do transactions. But yeah, we're very excited about it. And like with the likes of, say, PayPal and Visa and everything, is there a way that we'll eventually see these guys getting knocked off their throne? Because even recently, <laughs> I, I saw that like PayPal, they were taking 11% off on transaction because it was set in a different currency. They do the spread is so much like they charge it, as well as charging the fees. And I mean, they're doing that to everybody. And, you know, like I know like the Visa and MasterCard, it's like 3%. Even if you're selling, you know, Bentleys, you know, it's, is there ways that we'll be able to take them out of the equation? Because they're really ripping people off. Well, we're building the technology. We're building technology and I don't want to say yes or no. First of all, I have nothing against these guys. Yeah. And the the market is changing. Let, let me come maybe with another example. A good friend of us, they, they are Italians and they run a very small Italian restaurant. Nice place, family-driven, family-run, so uh, I think. Uh, and when I met with them recently, they said, what are you doing these days? And I gave a bit of, about my, my update and then spoke about Vesto and crypto. And she said, ah, crypto, who needs crypto? Isn't this really dangerous? And you know, energy, and obviously they specialize in Italian food and not in crypto technology. So I tried to explain the use case. And I said, well, how, how many of your customers pay in credit card? And she says, well, around about 85, 90% pay credit card. I said, okay, how often do you settle the credit card with the, with the acquiring bank? And she said, well, that's once a month. Said, okay, so what is the working capital that you need in order 
to finance this. And if the moment you use a, it's in Europe, so a Euro-based stablecoin, and you have a literally zero cost transaction, before the guest has even left the table, the money is in your bank account. Isn't that an advantage? There is never ever a, a transaction that goes sour and there is never ever a, a delayed settlement. The moment the guy, the, the guest leaves the restaurant, the transaction is settled. That is the advantage of crypto for small, for small business. And I think, yes, PayPal is uh, riding on, on Visa and MasterCard rails and they're going into crypto. They acquired Curve last year, I think also in May last year, if I'm not mistaken. They will make an inroad into the crypto world, but will their fee structure be sustainable? I don't believe so. But as long as possible, why should they not do what they do at the moment? But in the long run, the community will look at this and decide who is the, the next better solution. So the, the solution we have in place with the arrows, I, I compare this with the old days of mobile point of sale. So if you remember the old days of the square device that you put on the, the headphone jack of your iPhone, and you literally swipe the max drive and you initiate a transaction. You did not need a, a very phone in Genico or whatever great piece of technology hardware terminal. You did not need to pay a high monthly fee to operate the hardware terminal. All you need was a piece of card reader and a, and a mobile phone and you would be a card acceptance. You would have a card acceptance solution. And in my vision, I see that these type of solutions will potentially compete with the current incumbent players if they don't if they don't improve their game in the midterm. So why would anybody wait for 30 days transaction settlement? Or even if it's two weeks, that's simply way too long. And will it be errors? I don't know. Will it be based on, on, on the Vesto rails, Vesto platform? I don't know. But I'm pretty sure one of this, this type of technology has the potential to change the industry for in particular the smaller businesses dramatically. Excellent. I suppose. And finally, when you get a new client, what's the onboarding process? What's the, what way do people actually go through the system? A new, a new B2B customer for us or yeah. a, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mentioned in the beginning, we have a, um, a containerized solution with a scripted standard deployment. So once we have the, the necessary paperwork, the contracts in place, we literally deploy an AWS container. We need to set a few parameters. The, the utility token within the ecosystem, uh, for instance, can be customized. So if uh, you would not want to call it VUSDC. You would want to call it Roy USDC, and then in in your installation, consumers would see it as the RUSDC, for instance. Um, that is scripted. It's deployed literally within minutes. From a technical perspective, it includes responsive web applications for consumers as well as for administrators. It includes uh, Kickstart assets in the form of iOS and Android applications that are all in the App Store. So you can customize these. You do not need to start building from scratch. 
And of course, it includes the definition of the API. Should you decide not to reuse our asset, but integrate the Vesto capability into an existing customer portal, it might take you longer than reusing the Vesto applications, but it's, it's doable. And then typically the use case definition and the customization of these kickstart assets that's done in Chris four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, depending on the complexity of the use yep. case, then you're good to go. So uh, it's, it's pretty fast. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, also, listen, this wish you super success. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention before we wrap up? Well, if you're interested in Vesto, you can visit us on our website, vesto.io, for more information. Okay, no, perfect. Listen, thank you very much. Totally enjoyed our conversation. Thank, thank you, Roy. So that's all for the crypto podcast. You'll find all our episodes on the cryptopodcast.org. As mentioned, we're on BitChute and YouTube. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, five-star rating, and subscribe. It all helps. Until next week, take care.